Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice, and this is our Ronde von Vlaanderen recap men's race. If you're watching on YouTube, and there's a women's race separately on YouTube, all together on the podcast players, if that's where you prefer to listen. This parkour, it got released very late for the Tour of Flanders, but it's the same old 254Ks from Antwerp to Oudenaar. It's got the climbs we know and love, uh, Aldequamont, Paterberg, Tynberg, etc. The last climb or collection of climbs is the Quarmont and Paterberg with about 13, 14Ks to go. Strong teams, favourites you'd expect, Alaphilippe, Wout van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel for the men's race, which we'll do first, and we're going to recap it right now. Before we get into it, I want to mention our show partner, Lacole. They've just announced their collaboration with Ambassador Johan Museu. Some would argue knows more about winning Tour of Flanders races than Benji and I. I'd say maybe differently, but yeah. <laughs> Jokes aside, if you want to check out that new kid drop they're doing in collaboration with Johan Museo, the link is down below, or you can see it on their Instagram. But Benji, why don't you kick us off with what happened on the live feed with seven, six hours of racing to go when only you, I, and some other degenerates were watching? Yes, we had a, well, I woke up and just dragged myself to the couch and then I started watching the Tour of Flanders and what I saw was a dangerous breakaway actually, uh, a bit dangerous in the sense that I do see some riders that have been in the final of one of these gobble races before. Yellow Alliance for Goffitis was part of it, but also Bissiger, the uh, prologue specialist that we've recently seen develop in that. But also, we've seen last year that he can do cobbles. So I was like, ooh, he's going to be the last survivor for the breakaway. And eventually, uh, well, we won't talk about it yet, but that breakaway reached up to a good 12 to 13 minutes. Yep. And obviously, that's quite a lot, but it's also very early in the race. So we were still thinking this break is going to be uh, caught at some point. But I did have in mind, if these riders have 13 minutes now and you've got the pissing breaks of the peloton in the meanwhile and so forth, and you're going to come into a situation where the last survivors of these might end up being in the front elite group by the end of this race. So I was thinking about that. With like Bissiger Matthew Hayman in 2016, Roubaix. Yes, well, I as well in Roubaix uh, well, two years ago, the one where Sagan won, I think. Yeah, I don't even know anymore. 2018, yes. Um, then next up, we had quite a few events in the DSM and that, Astana um, had missed it. That's what's happened. Behind, they've missed the break. Astana of the worst yep. classics team in the world tour, so they were trying to get in to the break. And the Koenig and Bora, despite what Benji said, and I agree with what he said, they were largely happy with the breakaway formation, and they certainly didn't want more riders to get into it. So they were blocking. Had everyone spread out across the front. Alperson were blocking. Tinder Clerk was stopping Astana coming up the gutter. 247Ks to go. They were remonstrating with the Astana riders saying, don't you dare try and bridge across. Then Fedorov for Astana attacked. He was marked by, sorry, how do you pronounce his name? Benji Vergara for Alperson. Vergara. Otto Vergara. Otto Vergara for Alperson. Worker for Mathieu van der Poel in the early case. Marked by him. They'd been arguing before, and then a weird occurrence happened. He braked Fedorov, or pulled off, and then started braking, it seemed, and then Vergara threw his whole body into him, almost 
unannounced, nearly knocked him off his bike, nearly caught a crash in front of Perstelberger, the Bora rider, who was like, what the hell are you guys doing? And uh, both were eventually disqualified because then Fedorov tried to throw back into him. We'll talk more about the DSQ probably at the end of the pod because it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the race. But, yeah, you agree with the DSQ, right, Benji? Yes, we'll talk about it later, but uh, I agree with that DSQ. But the one I don't agree with is something that happened a bit later in the race, and that's, uh, well, Mikkel Scher had been having a pretty bad day oh, already. Yeah. I think twice he had to change bike. The second time, his his bike was still not in order. And while he was trying to get his second bike replaced, he was going back to the car, and he took his bottle, and he, he threw it a bit in frustration, but I don't think that really had anything to do with it towards a few spectators that were by the side Directly of the road. Directly to and, them. Well, yeah, directly to them. And I think you got five kilometers to 10 kilometers later, we heard the news that Michael Scher was taken out of the race for trying a bottle at a spectator, thanks to the uh, new rules that were just put in April 1st. <laughs> Yesterday in the GP in the Rhine, we had a similar case, but we'll go into this and give our opinions on this also uh, after the race recap, because I think we're pretty opinionated about all of this. Well, he, he was de-skewed, to be clear, for littering, not for like throwing it at a spectator, yeah. spectator. but their yeah. new rules <laughs> Important there was note. a twitter beef a lot of people talking about it afterwards again this is the most exciting thing that happened in the first 160ks but i mean <laughs> we had we watched it and we got stuff to talk about later but didn't really change anything to do with the race yumbo visma with eduardo Athini were keeping the break in check alperson and de Koenig were letting them do that maybe surprising but uh what was more surprising was with 95Ks to go, maybe even before then, the Koenig were assembling at the front at the view of the climbs. Molenberg, 95, they pushed hard. What was the climb they did in E3, Benji? Where they split it? Uh, I think that was the Tyrenberg yeah. that they same used in E3, but this was a different one. Uh, Who same was story. it? Yes, same strategy. Um, I think Osgen was in third wheel. I don't know. I think it was Von Lederberg yeah. and Ballerini yeah. who were the first two of the, of the train. No Stieber. And they pushed really hard. Exactly. Stivar is not here because of a, a heart surgery he had. He could start from the doctors, but he decided yeah. not to just in case. Good decision. Anyway, uh, that move on the Molenberg did split things up for quite a bit. So the, the Koenig riders were with, with the upper hand again. Same story as E3, but the group was too large. And if the group is that large and it's so long until the next climb, because basically on paper the race would open up at either the Kanadiberg or the Aurequatamon with 60 to 70k to go. So attacking with 95 to go is like 30 kilometers distance towards that. It's hard to keep that up, and they decided not really to do so. But it also got decapitated a bit later on, because they had that group. And what I noticed in that group, though, before we get to uh, the following steps, is that the second that happened on the Molenberg, Fanat had no teammates in the first section of the group. And there was a gap, and then there were the teammates of Fanat. Same story with... Van der Poel, who had one teammate, I think Vermeersch in that group. So when shit hit the fan, they were basically almost isolated already. And that's a thing that I didn't want to see so early on. Group. Because that... In, in, we're talking yeah, group of 50 exactly. plus when it came back together after the Molenberg. It's not like it was super selective. The race had been really easy up to that point, uh, apart from the battle for positioning going into it. And Jumbo Visma had used Nathan van Hoydonk, the guy they'd used to police moves late in Genvevelhem, to close down attacks in the first two hours, three hours of the race. 
and he was gone. And Yumbo had no further teams teammates really up to that point. Maybe Ankhorn, I'm not sure, but I was really surprised yep. they used Van Hoydonk early. I thought they would have been reserving him the way Alperson kind of tried to do with Yanni Vermeesh uh, to stay in G2, G3 at worst. But yeah, nothing really happened. All came back together. Massive group. No favorites dropped. Maybe Mads Pedersen was dropping at this point or maybe a little bit later. He dropped with like 60, 70 Ks to go. They go to the Canaryberg. Again, nothing really happened. MVDP and Alperson were blocking, I think. And then 63 Ks to go or just over. Soren Anderson attacked, trying to do a Dylan Van Baal, I think, Benji. You surprised no one went with him? Yep. Um. I'm surprised that nobody directly went with him, but we saw a bit later at the end of the Canadi Bay that some attacks from the uh, from the back started happening. And all of those groups actually included Inkhorn, one of those uh, Jumbo riders, because after the uh, initial attack of the Koenig on the Molenberg, the groups all came together a bit and we had more Jumbo teammates. So here they could try stuff again, but I think that was also kind of the last time we saw a teammate of Jumbo Visma there. So I don't know. We had at E3 a situation where the teammates of Wout were not really that proper until he was having that puncture and he got back to the second group. So they didn't make the first group. And then that brought the entire situation differently and that group had to come back. And in Kentwevelgem, we had two people that made the echelon and the rest of the team was not really shown too much. And they were celebrating that their team was very strong at Kentwevelgem because Van Hooydonk made the split. But I didn't really agree with that because it was only one teammate. So that doesn't really entitle a team being very, very strong. That entitles one rider that was overperforming in one race. And today we saw that it indeed was the case because today there were some moves where the Umbo riders were there. They were in the groups behind and they were unable to help him when it really mattered in the final situation. And, uh, well, that's kind of important sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's a flatter section now, not so hard, before the next collection of climbs, Aldequamont. And the Paterberg with 54 kilometers to go. MVDP looks strong on the Quaremont. Uh, then, but it all stayed together again. They just stayed at the front. All the favorites are there. There was crashes. I think, I can't remember, Stefan Kung attacked Benji, whether it was on the Quaremont. I think Seneschal might have clipped him, but didn't seem to be too badly hurt. There were a lot of crashes in the lead up to these climbs or just. Uh, through the yeah. feed zones, a lot of people crashing. Niels Erhoff, hard crash today. Why do you think there were all those crashes, Benji, or is it the same as always? It's just people trying to fight for a limited amount of space. Yeah, that's that's one part of it. I think that the major crash was before Erhoff, where we saw basically half the team of the Koenig down. Osgren, Ballerini, the cleric all hit the ground. Osgren actually had to solo back for quite a while to the Peloton group or there to the elite group before they went to the Audequaramont. And this is all because all these teams are hearing in their ears from the DS, get to the front, get to the front, the Audequaramont is coming, gotta watch out, gotta be in the first wheel, gotta be in the first position, good positioning before that climb. And that's why they keep on pushing and it gets them nervous. And in every corner, people start to get nervous and sometimes there's a shoulder barge in between. And eventually... Yeah, it causes crashes because everybody wants to be in the same position and you can't all be in that same position. And unfortunately, uh, 
yeah, it didn't look too good for Alperson either because they lost two riders there, DNF for, uh, I think, Villiers and somebody Rizbeck. else. But I don't know who. Rizabek, yeah. yes. And, uh, yeah, De Koenig and Alperson, weaker after that moment, but they all had to come back from that. Alperson couldn't with those two riders, but De Koenig tried to come back with both Osgir and Ballerini. I think the clerk was basically done with his work anyway. So for him, only the crash can have cause heard, but towards the team, I don't think that would have changed too much from that point. But yeah, out of Quatermont, what happened there? Uh, just a show of strength from MVDP, and I think the race really kicked off on the part of Berg. MVDP and Askren tried to attack. There was a group with Alaphilippe and Pidcock, which then countered. Pidcock looked really good early. He'd gone clear, I think, with Marco Haller and... They dropped a few of the quick step riders. Pitcock had reattacked out of that group. They'd caught Bisger at this point, who's working with that group. Bahrain looking really strong in the latter third of this race. Walfanart is caught behind a couple of times, having a bridge back to moves from Askren and Pitcock and Alaphilippe attacking. He has to close these all down himself. And then before the Tienberg, which we're now getting into the last, I think, 40 kilometres of this race. Uh, yeah, with 40, 40 k's to go, Tienberg, Haller attacks early, Dylan Van Baal style. He knows he's probably going to get dropped if MBVP attacks there. Tienberg, you've got a group still large behind. You've got GVA there. I think the main riders that have been dropped at this point with 40 k's to go all looking in big difficulty and no chance of winning were Sagan and Michael Matthews and Christoph were nowhere to be seen. But you still have Wapanat and MVP there. Askren went again on the Tienberg, followed by MVP, who I think then countered. Uh, but we didn't see that cutaway. And then he was followed by Wapanat, Alaphilippe and Dylan turns. They'd caught eventually... Marco Haller, and so we have this group, and it's got the two $4 favourites, Wild Fun Art and MVP, one and two last year. It's got two quick-step riders, their two best riders, winner of E3, Askren, and their favourite for the day, Alaphilippe, and two Bahrain riders, Turns and Marco Haller. Turns didn't have a good year last year. And so we're thinking, who works? And the answer is, they all mostly worked except Bahrain, who were complete underdogs and they helped here and there. But they're like, well, quick step, you got two guys and MVP and Wapanat, we're not going to beat you in a sprint. So they just, I think they hampered it a little bit because that group had a 20 second gap. But Turgis was able to bridge from the group behind, from Total Direct Energy. We were hyping him on the preview. What do you think? about Turgis today, Benji. May as well plug in before the finale. Surely someone's got to sign him on World Tour next year. Yeah, I think Turgis was really strong yeah. today. And I think we are, yeah, we mentioned that he could be because he was also looking very strong on the Unbeable game. Just missed the split. And today he also missed the split. So it seems like he's good at a relatively proper pace. But when it comes to the real, real attacks on the cobble sections or hills, he's just a tiny bit short to follow. So he has to try and benefit from the spaces in between to try and cover these attacks and try and launch back towards those groups. And today he did exactly the same thing. He used an opportunity where the front group 
was working together, but not at a top pace. While the second group was relatively close, he made that move. And eventually, uh, he came back towards the front and he actually made the split, which is crazy. He made that uh, bridge. But I um, that, that brings us to the next moment then. This is a moment where I kind of doubted whether what was happening was a good idea. And this is the same group at the front. Asgreen, Wout van Aert, Van der Poel, the two Bahrain riders, and Philippe and Turgi. And I should say G2. What happened there was... First. G2 was Sturven, yeah, okay. Greg van Avermaet, uh behind, as well as Pidcock, Dylan van Baal. Van Baal was very strong. I think Ineos might have made a mistake not attacking with him early. They were at 25 and had brought it from 30 to 20, went out to five, 25 again. They did the Kreuzberg. Not a threatening climb, and that's where we get to the moment Benji's referring to, a false flat section with just over, I think, 24 k's to go before the Quadmont and Paderberg for the last time. Yes, and Asgain was sitting in, I think, third wheel or something, or fourth wheel, actually, and he decided to go on the attack on the left side of a wide mm. road. Feeds and up. we saw that Vanard was um, doubting for, like, one or two seconds and then decided, yeah, I need to jump on that because, well... Otherwise, it's going to be each wheel over again. So he jumps on that. Van der Poel jumps on his wheel. We see that Alaphilippe stays in the wheel of a Bahrain rider. I don't think if it was uh, Hal or Turns, I don't know. But one of the two, another Bahrain rider was in the wheel of Alaphilippe. It was Turgis trying to close. He was also in that. Uh, yeah, Turgis okay. was taking and a bid on. Right at the, he just bridged these guys. Massive bridge. 20 second gap on his own. And then it, he was trying to take a bid on at the moment Alaphilippe let the wheel of Askren go and dropped the bid on as well to add insult to injury. And then Bahrain refused to pull and Alaphilippe refused to pull. But at that moment, Benji, Askren, Wafanart, MVP going up the road, did you think, oh, shit, Quickstep have played themselves here? Yeah, I think so as well. Um, I think that I was thinking that. And also I noticed that the Koenig was clearly thinking that as well. Um, my opinion of that was that Asgren from that group was attacking and the fact that Alaphilippe did not respond to both Van der Poel and Van Aert caused them to lose one of their riders while they had the upper hand in riders, which is not a great idea attacking from this far out before the climbs to make that happen. If you want to do something like this, it's better off to do it after the climbs happen because then you've got a better option of it succeeding because then people are going to look at each other more. But if it's so early in the range, just before the hills and like like just before the outer quarter then it's not going to work because everybody wants to be in that front group once they hit the outer quadrant. And otherwise, yeah, yeah, I I didn't really get what Asgain was trying there. And he seemed unsure. It was noticeable that, he, yeah, the, afterwards, surely, because uh, yeah, well, he started pacing and then stopped yeah. pacing and then started pacing again. So <laughs> they were doubting as well whether it was a good idea. <laughs> I think they were trying to figure out how Alaphilippe was going. His group had been subsumed at that point going into the base of the outer quadrant with 19 Ks to go uh, by the that second group was coming back to the Sturven, Dylan Van Baal group behind and Greg Van Avermaet in that group. So the three go into Uautokwaanmont, Asker and helping here and there, the big two, of course, working together. And Van der Poel attacked really hard, only bridge to by Kasper Asker. And Asker would go into these climbs trying to go first wheel at the base and then set as high a pace as possible for himself rather than trying to do any 
massive explosion, MVDP would wait until the steepest parts of every climb and then you know the rules, thermonuclear attack or biblical attack, particularly the one to come. Although the Quadmont one was the strongest, I think Van Aert dropped and he was going backwards. He was almost zigzagging at that point. And Askringe was just able to close it back just over the crest of these climbs. Uh, so strong, just like an E3. And so we had 15 Ks to go, 13-second gap, just made pretty much from the climb on Wapanart, just the Paterberg left. Got Askren with MVDP, Askren winner of E3, Kern of Brussels Kern last year, second in Flanders 2019. MVDP needs no introduction. Alaphilippe has been caught by the Seneschal, sorry. He's got one teammate behind, Seneschal, Sturven, uh, Van Avermaet, Wafenaert somewhere in the middle, and then Paderberg, MVDP. Did he try on the climb, Benji, to attack? I think he tried. Um, I think he tried, but we noticed already on the on the second time, no, the first time we went over the uh, path to the betting that Osgrin was really, really yeah, strong on that one. crazy. And... I was really scared. I, I was thinking this would be nice if, for example, Van der Poel has like 10 seconds on Osgreen at the top because then we've got this chasing scene from the top of the Paterberg uh, to the line. That would be amazing. But Osgreen was just too strong because Van der Poel was on the side of the road, always in that tiny little tiny little gutter next to the yeah. golden sections, trying to <laughs> trying to abuse that to get to the front. It's so funny to see because I, I bet he just spends more energy thinking about trying to get in that fine he's, line he's and, off balance and actually doing it on the doubles. Yeah, Askren's just on the yeah, it's kind crown of, of the road, plugging away at his pace. And I think we saw Van Aert come up. It was a long shot over the top of the Paderberg. You can see yeah. all the way down the climb. Van Aert had closed before the Paderberg, maybe five or six seconds, and then they put a much bigger gap into him and he was gone. He was zigzagging on the Paderberg and he eventually got caught over the crest by the Greg Van Avermaet, Seneschal, Alaphilippe, Van Baal group, Turgis back in that group two, working a lot. And then we had the flat run into the finish. 12Ks, I think 25 seconds, fluctuated between 23 and 31 seconds. The group behind cooperating really well Sturven and Turgis, Seneschal and Vermeersch sitting at the back, not working, but Seneschal not blocking. Alaphilippe had actually been dropped as well, so it was all for Seneschal. When did you think, if at all, Benji, Askren would stop cooperating with MVDP? Because I thought this is really difficult for Quickstep. They've, they've got a guy who's on paper not as quick as MVDP, and a flat run-in with not too much technicality to go? Uh, the thing that I was thinking was that at like seven or six kilometers to go, I was thinking about the qualities of Osgren in the sprint. I recall him doing uh, decent in sprints in the past, uh, in the same way that Lampard on the market can do decent in a, in a top five or top ten of a sprint sometimes. Um, against Vanderpool, it's very difficult. We know that last year Vanderpool started to uh, slow down the tempo in the last 500 meters of the sprint to make sure that Vanard had to use well acceleration, which Vanderpool is better to do the sprint. And I was thinking that Osgren, in the similar situation, 
one should not attack because I think that's just you're losing the reins if you attack at that point in a 1v1 situation. And he needs to try and launch it earlier and not wait as long in the sprint and not let Vanderpool lower that tempo a bit. But a lot of people were mentioning on social media already, uh, stop working Asgreen with five kilometers to go, but the group behind was on 23 seconds at a certain point. And so I was like, perhaps keep on riding, keep on pacing until two to 1.5k to go, then sit in the wheel of Vanderpool, because then you're going to have like a 25 second gap with two kilometers to go. Vanderpool, knowing him, he's going to stay at the front and he's always going to lead in the sprint because he knows he's got a better sprint or he thinks he's got a better sprint in a proper sprint against Osgren. After a 250 kilometer race, that can be very different. I was rooting for Osgren. I thought he was going to take it and uh, the sprint started. Yeah. And it was in a very similar fashion as last year where Vanderpool was trying to slow the tempo and slow the tempo. But Osgren, it seemed like the tempo was still relatively high into the last 300 uh, meters compared to last year. And I was thinking 300 meters perhaps go already. And he just kept on on his pedals. He kept on his pedals until 250. And I think he only went at 225 or yes. so, right? 225. and the minute he twitches, MVP kicks. Big initial kick, but no gap opened up on Askren, who wasn't on his wheel. And that was the first tell that normally, if MVP from a standing start kicks really hard with no one in his draft, Askren to his side, you'd expect a gap to open up. It didn't. Askren stayed right next to him, inching closer, inching closer, gets level his shoulder with uh, MVP's back wheel and then MVP sat down as the camera changed to front on that was because Askren was coming past him at 75 to go MVP knew he couldn't win Askren the long 15 second plus sprint out of the saddle you never know what can happen at the end of a 255k hard cobble classic and Askren beat MVP in the sprint easily despite me saying, why are you working for so long? Because the gap had gone out from 20 seconds to 35 seconds with four or five Ks to go. Askren had kept working. The big tell was how strong he was all day on the climbs. MVDP could gap him initially, maybe if he wasn't right on the wheel, but Askren brought him back with relative ease. We aren't talking a five-minute bridge, a three-minute bridge. It's like, no, 15 seconds 10 seconds, and he was back to the wheel of MVDP. Always stronger than yeah. Wild Fun Art. The group behind had stopped cooperating from about 5Ks to go. The closest they brought that gap down to was about 20 seconds. Then Greg Van Avermaet, sensing the podium beckoning, attacked out of that group, marked only by Jasper Sturvin. And so those two went clear, fought it out for third, and Greg Van Avermaet won. That battle. That battle, but not the war. So here's the final top 10. Askren first, Matthew van der Poel second, Greg van Avermaet third, Jesper Sturben fourth, Seb van Mark, Wout van Aert, Yanni van Meersch seventh, Seneschal, Turgis and van Baal. I think Turgis, he's got to be my man of the day outside of the top two. I was really, if he'd ridden selfishly, he could have got third. Uh, but he, he rode for the win today. He rode to bring back the front two on his own multiple times. And uh, 
it cost him the podium spot. But I hope World Tour teams are watching if that's what he wants because he needs to be on a top-tier cobbled squad. But yeah, you expected it, Benji, that outcome. Or you, you thought it was more likely that sprint outcome at the end than people thought. I think it was... Uh... I think it was possible. I'm not going to say that I knew Asgreen was going to win, um, but I thought it was possible. I um, put my money where my mouth is, and eventually it led out to be a, a good thing because uh, it ended up playing out as I hoped it would in the end. I think that when it comes to Asgreen, you can never underestimate him. The last sprint he won was in uh, of California, his first year, I think, as a pro or second year as a pro. And he did that against TJ Van Garderen. So it's not exactly the one where you can define <laughs> if you've got a good sprint or not. But ever since then, he's been a decent sprinter. He's been a, a, a good time trialist. He's been a, a great gobbler. And he's so good overall. And that allows for a rider to be good at the end of these races, these rough races. If you're the strongest on a day like this, where Van der Poel, honestly, looked good, but not like Strade Bianca at all. Then I believe he got an well, opportunity and he took it on. I disagree. End, I think he also crashed. Asgren. Yeah, true. <laughs> I think MVP looked the same as Strada. If the difference yeah. is Benji, if you think that the climb to Siena at the finish of Flanders, I still think he wins and beats Asgren. And I don't think. Yeah. You know, I think it's just a different parkour, and I think the the rule we need to remember, and with people forget it quickly even though it happened last year the underdog on paper in a head-to-head sprint at the end of a monument or a hard cobble classic is always under undervalued and underrated mvdp last year i think people favored well for the sprint i certainly did favored well and today i probably favored mvdp not as highly as well last year because uh, I'm obviously a fanboy. But still, I was like, oh, surely Askren's going to sit on earlier. Why is he pulling? Why is he pulling? Why is he not attacking or trying something with 5Ks to go? But he backed himself. They maybe knew Philippe didn't have it today. He didn't. That's the quick step mentality. Imagine Benji, and a lot of other teams might have done it, maybe not with Askren because he does have the cobble. He just won a three. But a lot of other teams would be like, Philippe's the leader. Sit on. Don't pull with MVDP yep. and they get caught and maybe someone else wins. Like people were calling for it. It could also have been, let's imagine that I'm criticizing the moment that I was going to attack because I believe that was not an idle moment. I don't think Alaphilippe knew. Two riders to one rider. But looking at it in hindsight, imagine if he doesn't make that move and they get over the last Paterberg with four riders. Fanat, Van der Poel, Alaphilippe and Asgren. Who is the Koenig sprinting for? Alaphilippe on paper. And then they might have lost the race. Yeah. I, well, they probably would have attacked with Askren. And yeah, yeah, probably. But Anyway, it's, <laughs> it's a hip- elegant quick step. They've got the special name of Flanders. <laughs> elegant is a special glass window line, apparently, for the Koenig. Benji's pretending like he doesn't know but it's clearly everyone in Belgium knows or now they're supposed to. And um, other news for the race, I guess, would be Quickstep Wolfpack undefeated. We saw a statistic 22% of monuments since like the year 2000 have been won by Quickstep or yeah. Pat Lefebvre. So uh, they know how to win races. 
Jumbo Visma, I mean, they were asking for apologies from people such as ourselves who'd criticised the support for Wout van Aert after Hent Wevelhem. That criticism was still correct. Like, Valid. I mean, <laughs> it's a, still a problem. It's the same with Vanderpool positioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was also saying that it wasn't a problem, but yeah, it is. And it's the same thing for both. We saw today again that Vanderpool was at the back of a group when the climb happened, but Van Aert was in the wheel of Vanderpool, so it not, was not like he was doing too much better when it comes to that positioning. But in the end, I think that it was a, a wonderful race. I really enjoyed it. And, it's fantastic. Uh, I'd like to talk about controversies now because that's why I'm here. No, no, I want to ask you something. Oh, okay. Do you think MVDP is better than Wafana as a classic strider in 2021 and 2020? Yes. When it comes to 2020 RVV, I still don't know who would have won if Fanart didn't crash and didn't have his uh, chain off at the moment that Alphalip attacked. So it's very hard to say if that race would have been different. Let me otherwise. rephrase it. I dare to Let say Let me rephrase yes. it. Okay. Do you think Wout looks the same, better or worse, slightly worse than 2020 in terms of crazy level in the classics? I believe he's not looking as good. Um, I believe that we also saw it in E3 where that move was just suddenly gone. And in a 2020 Wild Vanad, we didn't really see that. We saw him dominating the races he rode, except for RVV, where he was also dominating yep. it, but with someone together. I believe last year's RVV, we had a situation where Vanderpool was not in, this, in the form that he wanted to be in yet, I think. He was trying to build it up from those Italian classics that weren't good and tried to build up. And wasn't that his ideal form while well, Vanard was going down since the Tour de France slightly? And they both were relatively on the same level, but they all had a bit of a different area in which they were going. Vanard was getting worse and Vanderpool was building up form. And I think Vanderpool expected to start a season at a better form last year with those Italian classics and didn't really reach the potential he wanted to be in. And Vanard didn't really peak long enough to keep that going to dominate that RVV as well. So they were both very strong. But I don't think that was the strongest they could ever be. I think we saw them stronger, Vanderpool. Honestly, I still believe in Stadi was better than today, despite the parkour. Um, I think that he's just had a very long run right now. And it's kind of logical that someone who's been so good for a month straight, that he has to have a weekday someday. I still think that Warzer Vlanen was just a bit weird. I think it was the sun that's probably bothering him on that yeah. one. I don't think it was really related to a, a proper bad legs after a, after a yeah, tiredness or something. Okay. But I still believe that today they also both were in that their best level. And I think that is also why Osgren had the op- opportunity of winning here. Yeah. But Osgren, best race of a season and of, of his, his life. life so far. To- it's not like he did it through luck or tactics. Yep. He was Strength straight up already. stronger than MVP in the final after having worked with him and closed him down the whole time. And he didn't even yes. have his team. His team didn't close down moves for him. So, yeah, hats off to Askren. Before we get into the controversy, I have to include a segment from a Danish super fan, Sal. He is the most Danish person I know if there's a Danish person in a race, he says they are going to win the race. That's just how he operates. So here's a segment from him. I thought it'd be cool to include a Danish 
reaction to a Dane winning a monument and a cobbled one at that. Incredible race today for the Danes. It's it's amazing finally getting a monument again and uh, Eskren getting it. Eskren getting it. Um, we had Norsko out in the break. It was amazing and uh, a bit worrying when when Eskren suffered the the crash and all and and also when he came back and and tried to play the strong man on the hill. Um, fortunately, he was the strong man because he was the only one really able to follow Van der Poel uh, on, on the uh, attack and and he just looked fresh. He looked so fresh. I was on the Discord and Benji called it. He he wanted the long sprint and I was like, nah, he's going to tear him a new one from, from far out and, and he didn't though. He he took him in the sprint and it's much better and it's, it's just so amazing, man. It's uh, I can't believe it. Wow, what an Easter. All right. Thanks, Sal. Impassioned as always. On to the controversy that Benji craves. First, the littering and shares DSQ. DSQ, I want to remind everyone that from April 1, which is a couple of days ago, you cannot, as a rider, throw your bid-ons, even to spectators. You can't litter outside of zones, green zones or whatever they're called. There are every 30 Ks and there's one in the final. You can give your bid on back to the car. You can give your bid on to a team assistant if they're outside of the zone, but you can't apparently give bid ons to yep. spectators. And Cher got disqualified for it. That's a harsh disqualification for Benji to ride all winter, prepare for the Tour of Flanders, do all the tune up races. You've got as needing help to disqualify someone for a rule introduced four days ago. It seems harsh, and I don't agree with it. I think I've got two steps to it. One, the rule itself I find incredibly stupid. I find littering very bad, but I think there is a difference between littering and throwing a beat onto a spectator. We've had this as a part of cycling for decades, where throwing stuff to spectators is cool because then they can idolized the rider that gave it to them these kids by the side of the road love that and not even kids adults as well i would have loved to get something by nebel the other side of the road or something by hausler and like hang it here or something yeah. but looking looking at it from that aspect that rule is stupid that it applies to this situation i do think that they should penalize littering properly i think that goes into upping the financials not necessarily if you drop a piece of paper that you're going to be disqualified from the race. Yesterday in the GP Indurain, someone was Keegan disqualified Swivel. for dropping a piece of a... Yeah, he was being uh, disqualified for dropping something. He tried to put uh, a gel floor in his back and, pocket, uh, I think, and he just... And they miss it. They miss it all the time. It's windy. They race yeah. in rain. They hit bad road surfaces, and you put something in your jersey, they accidentally drop it. Um, yeah, like... What if, what if Benji, when you rip and, the top of a gel off, the little top bit, you don't quite leave a little bit on and it falls out of your mouth? Seven years gel well, time. No. <laughs> it's disproportionate. <laughs> and on Benji's point, of course, how many – someone go onto the UCI's Twitter. They won't have deleted them. How many times have they posted videos of heartwarming moments in races where riders stop and give a bit on to uh, a spectator? I bet you they've posted it so many times and 
I even saw one like a month ago, I swear. It might not it might have been on a team. But yep. it's something that's been part of cycling to give and I know maybe in COVID you wouldn't want it to happen, but these rules are not related to COVID. It's to do with littering. And Steinsteels on Quickstep and I might be I'm using Google Translate, Benji. Maybe your Dutch is better. But he said I can say it if you he, want. Sorry, go on. I can say yeah, it if you, you want. Um, so they had a Zoom meeting with the CPA and the UCI in which they were discussing these new rules. And one of the people from the UCI said that it was okay if it was to spectators and that they would not be fining it. They would not be penalizing this. Now we're going off the word of Stan Stales here. Um, I also heard that Nico Dick, yeah, uh, he works for Willerflitz. He... Um, he had the same thing. He mentioned that same thing. And he said that because they asked the UCI what happens in these situations. And they also got the same answer. I got a slightly so different answer. Apparently, the jury commissaire didn't know it. So uh, that's not too amazing because he applied it today to the uh, bottle. But what's the worst part for me is not only that. Like, it's, it's, it's bad that the rule is bad. Like, I disagree that the rule should be there in that form that a bottle yes, is is not okay. So harsh. But it's a I've red got a next card. Point. Think in soccer. Yep. To get a red card, yep. you got a, a straight red. You got to basically seriously endanger someone or threaten a referee or something. Really bad. Like, yeah, go on, Benji. It's the second day, second race day that this is introduced, this rule. The second race day that it's being applied. Yesterday we had a DSQ for the littering. Today we started off with Terpstra doing the same thing. Same thing exactly as the dude that yesterday got disqualified, received nothing. Then in the end, I also saw Holler putting something in the resaddle and that dropped out. So um, he also didn't get a disqualification for that. And then when it comes to a bottle to a spectator, because it's probably seen as on purpose, then they apply it. So there's already differences in consistency in the rule on the first and the second race day that they apply it. So clearly the jury commissaires in the card don't have a clue what they're doing on that part. Well, what if... Because, like, it's not consistent with each other. What video are they using? Because me and you, if a team paid us to sit there and send in clips of the other teams littering, we could have sent in another 10 today. And didn't, do they yeah. go back and use our clips or do they just whatever the team in the car see or the production van at the time see? Is that what they use? I don't know because it's already – being applied in an unfair fashion, I think. Just have the fines, like 500 euro or 500 Swiss francs. That's a lot for share to pay. And Just do it times five. They won't litter, but a disqualification is stupid. And maybe there needs to be an exception to the rule. If you throw it to spectators yeah. and it's safe to do so, yeah. like not on the Poggio descent, you, like, you see a random spectator and throw it off the rock wall and it bounces back in. Okay, maybe not, but the discretion they should have used today, which doesn't exist explicitly in the rule, which is always the problem, like what the UCI said in response to Nico Dick, which is we will use common sense. If a rider's on slow speed from the Grabetto, hands his water bottle in the hand of a child, the commissioners will not penalise. Uh, but where's that in built into the rule? So you're relying on human subjectivity. Have they seen it? How do they feel on the day? And share, not the biggest deal in the world, like 
not going to win Flanders, but could have affected the race, could have brought things back for Van Avermaet. Maybe Narsen had to work earlier. What if this happens to a favourite? What happens if MVDP drops something out of his pocket in the finale of Flanders? You're going to disqualify him? Like, cycling is already viewed as a little bit of a joke by a lot of people who watched, say, in the 2000s, and there's some arcane rules, etc., as well, separate to that. You're going to make it explaining to someone, yeah, you get disqualified straight away from that, even for a mistake. No warning. It just seems excessive to me. Maybe a yellow card system. So if you do it repeated times, you get suspended for a race or I don't know, but a straight DSQ, which came quicker than riders assaulting each other. I just can't agree with. On the other hand, yeah. playing <laughs> got to play devil's advocate. This is the first week it's been applied. Riders have now seen this very strong example set with share that may change their behavior what do you think about that i wouldn't no 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 no, no. Uh, if i was a rider if i was a rider right talk to every single person i know in the peloton and i'd say how about we just stop at like 80ks in and we take our ball and we give it to someone by the side of the road what are they going to do disqualify all of us (laughs) well no then they'd say you gave it whereas share threw it his was bad whereas the rule doesn't really say either of them are okay uh, I, I genuinely throw one at a spectator just for that purpose. Not at them, but like to them. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be okay with this, personally. Yeah, anyway, I think as far as rules go, it doesn't really help safety too much, setting the example with share. And I'm really concerned, really worried that it's going to happen in an even bigger moment to a bigger rider and change the outcome of the race and make a bit of a mockery of the sporting result because the riders themselves, they took to Twitter, Greipel, Stein Steels, and they're not even on Ejderza Citroen. And they were like, this is ridiculous. Are you serious? And we saw MVDP. He hopped on a curb at least once today. It's clear as day, overhead shot. It's against the rules. Disqualification. It is against the rules. It always has been. And he does it all the time, along with other riders, taking shortcuts. Why is that not enforced? has bearings on safety. You've heard us say this before, Benji. Yeah. Why, Benji, do you think they're not clamping down on that? Because I think uh, the peloton has clearly shown that they don't care. And we've seen half the peloton do it today, not only Van der Poel. And this is a different story for me because this is something that can endanger people. We saw it in one of the uh, earlier races Amelo of the Porcurna. season. I think it was Amelo Porcurna, where they went on to the Molenberg and they went... In front of a tree or a Behind pole, a tree. instead of taking the long way yeah. around, yeah, and that is a shortcut to get on the Molenberg. And a ton of riders took that inner corner and just gained twenty. They nearly took out a but woman. There was also a spectator st- standing there, and they almost hit her at like proper speed. And that's not okay. We saw, um, I don't know what happened, but I think a few years ago, a sky rider in Tour of Flanders twenty. 17 or 18 is my guess. We had a sky rider that was on the right side of the road and he rode through the public back onto the road and he got disqualified for it. So it has been used before, but they just don't do it anymore. It was a topic in the media and I think that's why they applied it because it was said so much that that was an issue. And then suddenly it's like nobody cares anymore when it comes to the UCI. And we saw it last year, I think, at 
Was it well, Bingley or something where say, Gilbert, Gilbert did, it. did it? They maybe gave him a time penalty. But anyway. No, and then took it back. They <laughs> really? took the time penalty back the day after. That. And that's the weird part about it. All right. <laughs> we don't need to convince you of rule inconsistency. That was the discussion about the share disqualification. Let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or LRCP clips what you think about it, what you think needs to change. Now we need to discuss Benji, the second most controversial moment, maybe the Fedorov uh, Vergeda DSQ. I think Vergeda should get the same suspension that Nasser Bawani eventually gets. 100% intentional. There is no question. If you haven't seen it, if you want to go watch it directly, it's all over Twitter. Vergeda comes up on the right hand side of Fedorov. He's annoyed. Because they've told Quick uh, Astana, stop trying to get in the breakaway. Stop it. We're going to control things. Let the gap go out. They were annoyed to Koenig and Alperson. Fedorov had pulled off to the left. Breaks after, in my view, Vergeda is out of his wheel. Vergeda wasn't in danger. He moves over to the right and moves up alongside him. Throws his whole body into him. I cannot believe Fedorov didn't crash. He didn't know that was going to happen. They have the whole yep. peloton behind them with 250Ks to go. We could have had a mass pile-up. And then Fedorov, obviously your adrenaline goes. You're like, what the fuck did you just do? He tries to swing at Fergera, who breaks himself because he knows that Fedorov is going to try and do that. Perstelberg is confused. It took like half an hour to disqualify them under, I don't know what rules, presumably endangering another rider or assaulting another rider. But what do you think the sanction should be afterwards, Benji? Do you think DSQ is enough or this should be investigated? When it comes to Otto Vergade, it is for me a disqualification for the other guy as well, Fedorov, and not because of the initial brake check. For me, because he tried to do it back, but the only reason that he didn't do it back was because Vergade was already braking and the Bora rider was in between. And that's why that didn't work out to do it back. But I think there should be extra for Vergarde because he could have crashed half the peloton there. This is for me, personally, worse than Buhani. You know why this is worse than Buhani for me? Because Buhani, we don't know. And I don't think he did it on purpose to try and genuinely put Stewart into a barrier. That's not his intent. This intent today is trying to barge trying to crash off in the middle of a peloton. That's like not okay. And I believe that that's. I, I had three months for Buhani. If well, I'm Buhani, honest, it's three to six months for Vergara. Buhani had a legitimate sporting reason to move there, which was to get into Viviani's slipstream to try and win the sprint. He just shouldn't have done that or should have not moved so far. But he had a, like, a legitimate reason, at least in terms of intent, to try and win the race to do that. Vergara's only reason to do that is to try and crash. Fedorov and bully him and intimidate him and that's worse I agree and I think three months is right it's you've got to set an example I I couldn't believe it I was thinking does he not know that it's being televised this early Benji like were you shocked that someone would do that so brazenly at the front of the peloton I, I don't get it it's not okay and definitely for something like that like you can't be annoyed that Fedorov is doing a bit of a brake check. It's not okay to do a brake check because it can endanger the riders behind you. But it is. I don't think that's yeah, why I did it. No, I. 
I think he did it because he was you pissed know, you don't think- about Astano trying to get in the break, and that was where the frustrate frustration came from. Like, why did they care if Federer got in the break as well? And also, Astana are entitled to try and get in the breakaway. Those guys are terrible. They're not going to win. That's the only chance of getting some TV time. What does it matter if they get in the break? Fedorov and Hugo Uld, who eventually did get in the break with Nico Dens. I don't understand it. And listen, I'm telling you right now, what do you want to bet, Benji? Do you think the same amount of articles will be written character assassinating Fergaida as Buhani? No, of course not. Uh, Buhani has a history, and because of that, he's also going to be uh, pushed on more by media. And we saw that a lot. We saw that French media was also pretty harsh on him, but they also highlighted the responses from Buhani. And English media only highlighted the bad parts of the responses because Buhani ended up saying um, the exact words that I'm going to say now. If uh, if Jake Stewart is scared, then he should stop sprinting. And he's an idiot. That's not really he's, the response you should give. He's after so that. dumb. And he was doing so while calling out a, a journalist that said he's trying to push him in the barrier. <laughs> even uh, if it's yeah. a mistake, even yeah. if Nasibuani genuinely didn't try and do it, that's dumb. That's like Vergara saying, <laughs> yes. if Fedorov wants to get in the break. He's got to get in it when it goes initially. If he's going to try and bridge across, well, he had it coming to him anyway. And that's just not okay. And I don't know Vertigator too well, don't know his character, but yeah, he's got to go for a nominal period of time at least to say it's not okay. Because I'm pretty sure he was remonstrating with the Astana car after he'd been disqualified as well. Um, But yeah, big shame. For for him, didn't really change the race with those two, but I just want to. We just wanted to do this and put it on the clips channel. Benji told me we should make a deal of it because to be consistent and say yeah. and to call out these incidents when they happen, and that way we can say, well, do you see? I had no excuse, I guess, for not being consistent with them. Like Buhani should just get a suspension because. He's named Nasibawani. But that's what we've got to say about the Fedorov and Vergara incident. Now onto the Women's Tour of Flanders recap, 152.5-kilometre course with a similar, well, identical last 20 kilometres to the men's race with the Ardequamont-Paderberg combo, combo with a 10K-plus flat run into the line. They've got the Molenberg, Malbastrat, Berendries, Valkenberg, then feed zone. It's all very similar. Bertenho to Kinnerberg, Tyenberg, etc. So it's just shorter at the start, but the way the climbs are put together, particularly in the last half or third of the race, almost identical. We've got Van Vleuten, Van der Breggen, Norsgaard, Longerborgini here, all the big names, Sestigotter, Ludwig, etc. So, yeah, the live coverage started with about 60 kilometres to go. And it was all together. No breakaway, no early moves. I think Benji, personally, that they could make the women's races longer and maybe there'd be more furtive breakaways. It would mirror the men's race more. I don't know. But, yeah, there was no break. It was all together. And they got towards the ninth climb. Then with 52 k's to go, the Bergtenhoter, 
SD Works, Yumba Visma Women's Bike Exchange and Liverall Pacing. A lot of Quebecis here as well, I should have mentioned. And there was a small split, but nothing major before the Canaryberg, which is where the first of the big moves started to happen. Annemiek van Leuten, European champ on Movistar, winner of Dwar's Tour out of Kasha, Neviadoma, went hard on the Canaryberg, but everyone was marking her like right on her wheel. And she led a group of 20 with all the names I've already mentioned in this podcast. Do you agree with what I said about the length of the course, Benji, or do you think it's a feature of smaller teams, or what do you think it is? Hmm, I think that the course is honestly good, 153 kilometers. That's uh, one of the longer ones, I think, from the women's calendar. Um, I personally don't know the science behind the length of a women's race versus a men's race. That has been asked to Twitter on me lately, and I just couldn't answer. So if anybody has like a good paper on that or something, I'd yeah. be so down to read that and uh, get into that a bit. But I generally can't tell you if that's a lot or not. I know that some races make their races different. And I think, uh, I don't know if it was a million or something, but one of those types of races that had instead of like eight times a hill, it had like one time the hill or two times a hill. And then it's like, uh, it's a very different race then because then it's just yeah. an attempt on one hill and not on like a, an attrition fight. And then the race can be very different. But I don't think that's the case here. I think that it's still very much a difficult uh, gobble race to our for women. 39 Ks to go. They were going towards the Tyenberg. That's where it crested. And Cordon Rigaud had slipped away. So Van Leuten had pushed on the Canaryberg. No big gaps. Counter from Cordon Rigaud. Great move. Trek Segafredo trying to SD Works. SD Works, the French national champion, trying to force SD Works to chase rather than having Follering, who is here, Peters, etc., being able to attack. 25-second gap. Big, pretty big gap eventuated. She made it over the Tyenberg. Florchi Mackay was pacing for DSM. Uh, a lot of the teams were working. And they've got the Kreuzberg Hotond, which is not the hardest combo. It's not as hard as the Quadmont. Paderberg inside the final 30K still caught on Rigaud. She's extended her gap out to 50 seconds. SD Works not eating into it at all. Trek were able to all sit in. She's got Longa Borghini back in the National Champs jersey of Italy. I think Voss is, back in, the, is in the leader's jersey of Women's World Tour. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on that. She was in a pinky purple jersey today van dyke diagonal all they will sit in while she's up the road and kreuzberg comes and goes still cordon rigo up the road and she's french time trial champion either this year or last year if i'm not mistaken maybe both well definitely last year i think and saraya paladin was chasing eventually for live racing she got the gap to 20 seconds um, over the Kreuzberg, but no one was really chasing either. And Cordon Rago, the gap was at like six seconds between her and Paladin. Paladin, we saw at Dwar's Duel or Hen Favelhem. Yeah, Hen Favelhem. Hen Favelhem with Longa Borghini, very strong. And she was even working with Longa Borghini in the finale. So definitely someone good to work with for Cordon Rago. And then, yeah, I just. I think Cordon Rigo could have sat up a little bit earlier. But anyway, going towards the Quartermont, Paderberg combo, all the favourites are in the group except for Benji Kopecky. What happened with her and where was it? 
Well, Kopecky, just before they turn onto the outer quadrant, you've got this uh, dive down to the outer quadrant, and I think a good 100 or 200 meters before they get to the outer quadrant, we saw that a rider was pushing somebody else, and the other person was Kopecky. Her teammate was trying to keep her on her bike, and they had to change bike because something was going wrong with the bike of Lada Kopecky. From what I saw, it seemed to be a chain issue, but I'm completely unsure about it. And because of that, she basically started the outer quadrant, like, yeah, a good 250 meters behind. Then that's obviously not ideal if you want to uh, be at the front on the outer quadrant. Just at the moment, the race is definitely going to explode once again. And I think that at the earlier aspects of the outer quadrant, I was, uh, I was thinking this is going pretty decent. This is going pretty decent for the entire group there not having one rider that is exploding here until Anna van der Breggen came to the front and she kept mashing the pedals because she also had Demi Vollering in that group. I don't know whether they were deciding to go for Vollering by having van der Breggen pace because on cobbles you don't really know that if the rider at the front is their leader or not because they might just be setting pressure and the other might just be in trouble. And van der Breggen kept on pushing that towards the top of the outer quadrant. A lot of people dropped off the bag, but the riders who stayed up there there were some interesting names there. Obviously, Elisa Longo-Borghini was there. Annemiek van Vleuten was still there. Vollering, the teammate of Anna van der Breggen, was still there. Two riders for FDG, and that was uh, Cavalli and Ludwig. <laughs> yes, the favorite combo, because it's very interesting to see how their tactics employ in races. Was there anybody else next to the names? I know, Renault, or... national champion you ever mentioned. Yeah, of course. Spring. Grace Brown, the best Australian rider at the moment. And yes. maybe they listened to our preview. Maybe they came to their senses, but Bike Exchange <laughs> were using Roy to close down moves earlier in the race, the national champ for Grace Brown. Uh, and I think that was a good move, and that really paid off for them today. So Grace Brown was in that group looking good. Uh, she actually, sorry, they get over the Quarmont, Anna van der Breggen, not like a nuclear attack. It's kind of like when she's on the murder hoy last year and she's just in the saddle doing her thing. No one's going to attack except maybe a peak van Vleuten and. She's just dropping people off the back. They've then got that big dipper, and it was a pretty big gap, like the Voss group. Voss just slipped off the back, Benji. I thought she was in the group. She was starting in a good position. She just cracked. And anyway, she she slipped off the back. They got the big famous dipper between the Quarmont and the Paderberg, and Brown used that the descent and used the momentum to attack, and they got a, she got a pretty good gap until Annemiek van Vleuten bridged. She was initially pacing on the front and someone lost her wheel and onto the Paderberg they went. She had a small gap, those two, and Annemiek van Vleuten was working pretty well. It must have been only three, four seconds, maybe even less before they got into the Paderberg. They were basically caught at the base and then van Vleuten attacked again or maybe even just riding her pace she nearly crashed she was going all over the place she had to put her hand onto the barriers on the left hand side but still extended that gap by 10 seconds minimum by the time she got to the Paderberg riders are zigzagging behind her Grace Brown dropping a lot it was mainly Van der Breggen but they just had to catch her they just had to try and make that move across and Grace Brown really cooked SD works because maybe head-to-head on the Paderberg, both at the same equivalent freshness without the chase beforehand. Maybe van der Breggen's right on van Vleuten's wheel, but 
not with what just happened beforehand. Gap was good. I thought with that group all together, Brown, Cavalli, Ludwig, Longaborghini, Vollering, Van der Breggen, Brennauer. That's a lot of firepower. Van der Breggen and Brennauer got good TT. Brown is strong. FDJ have two teammates. They were using Ludwig to actually work for Cavalli, I think, although Ludwig had been losing wheels before, so she was really tired. And Longaborghini didn't pull Benji after the Paderberg with a 10-second gap to Van Vleuten with 11 or 10 Ks to go. Was it tiredness or was it strategy? What was the reason for it? I don't know. I think that was tiredness on the uh, on the Paderberg. Everybody was pretty much on their limit and that uh, group that eventually formed after Annemiek van Vleuten. And I think we saw that mostly from the couples in the group. And I think I noticed that mostly with Alain Silvestre Ludwig and Cavalli due to Utrecht Ludwig being on paper, the rider with a lesser sprint of the two. So I'd say she goes to the front and starts riding like crazy. And again, I think Volering and Van der Bregen were also there in a the duo. But in that group, I think there just was not enough power anymore to catch yeah, her that's the at problem. the front. And I don't think that I really saw moments where the tempo died out. It was really staying around the same amount of seconds 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 11, 12, 13, 11. Just kept on like that. And I think that everybody was just kind of done. I don't think they, um, even with cooperating at their best capabilities, because probably some people in there saved energy, I think it would have been a really hard to close down a Van Vleut in here. Did you think that they had an opportunity of chasing that back? Yeah, I think so. I think it's almost a trap having teammates because... Mm-hmm. What they did was they put Vollering on the front and just kind of left her there doing a lot of the work. But then you're mm-hmm. basically having Demi Vollering doing a head-to-head TT against Van Vleuten after the Paderberg, and she's actually going to lose time. So you're better off having Vollering ride for 90 seconds absolutely max and then blow up, leave the group, and then have yep. Van der Breggen try and bridge a five-second gap, four-second gap on her own. I think doing the slow bridge with her and then Ludwig eventually came through, but no one knew there wasn't good coordination, is actually a slow death towards Van Vleuten, who will extend that gap. You know her time trial prowess, and she's back on form. She's sort of Dwar's door. Three Ks to go, 11-second lead. Longaborghini has been sitting on the whole time, not pulling through, eventually starts to come through when the gap is out to like 19 seconds. But by this point, we know the race is pretty much done. Van der Breggen didn't really have it either at this point. And despite Brunel, Grace Brown, trying to all work together, it just wasn't enough. When they came into the finishing straight, we saw that Annemiek van Vleuten was going to win this race and she won easily by over 15 seconds. Time for the post-up. Second win from her and... The double for Movistar on the weekend with Valverde yesterday, her on Wednesday. Great time for them. They must be happy that they're having some positive results. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's back. Yeah. I think that this isn't their get out of jail free card for their men's couple team. Let that be clear. Uh, (laughs) I think that their men's couple team is pretty terrible. To Movistar. Garcia Martino hasn't done shit all year. So. I want to call that out. Oh. Women's team on the cobbles is far better than the men's team on the cobbles. Yeah. Again, well, we said that in the previous. On a bike. Yep. 
in a preview, we were like, Norsgaard van Vleuten, <laughs> I mean, it's probably to beat the men's team head-to-head straight up. Like, Send van Vleuten to the men's race and she might top yeah. 20. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, great result for van Vleuten. Then the reduced bunch sprint, thankfully, second Lisa Brennau, the German, German national champ, and Grace Brown, third to the Australian, her second monument podium. She came second in Liège last year behind Diagnan. Third, sorry, that was third, Elisa Longaborghini missing out on the podium. Fourth, following fifth, Cavalli sixth, surprising actually, Ultra Ludwig seventh, Van der Breggen eighth, Rusler ninth, Brody Mai tenth. So three FDJ in the top ten. Brody Mai was behind. Um, Brody, sorry, I'm reading off the Twitter handle. <laughs> it's, it's Brody Chapman, uh, to be clear. Um, but I think a few team. well, actually, I've got the – that's different to the results I've got on PCS. So maybe maybe don't take my word for that exactly. <laughs> They've got Christian Faulkner as 10th for Tim Tipko and the UCI Women's World Tour has got uh, – I don't think Chapman's 10th. I don't believe that. All right, well. I could be wrong, but. She's an Aussie, so that. let me just say she came in the top 10. How about that? that, that but doesn't in all seriousness, like Trek Benji, <laughs> do you think yeah. they messed up anything today? Do you think they burned Cordon Rigaud too early? Or do you think it's just a case of Van Dyke and Diagnan are not as good at getting in the front group as last year? Yeah, I think it's a lot about Cordon Rigaud is looking better than previous years, personally, I think. Uh, I think she's played a role in in uh, multiple races in a row now for the team, and Longoborghini uh, again consistently up there with the splits that she needs to be in. But they weren't strong enough when Van Vleuten went, and if you're not the strongest on the path to the and lose ten to thirteen seconds on top, then it's going to be hard bringing that back, even with a group surrounding you. So I think they just lost from a better rider today. Quite simple as that. They could have potentially uh had a strategy to try and form that away. But in, in hindsight, I wouldn't know how with the riders that did make the split eventually. Like, if Diagon and Van Dijk are not in that split, then I don't think they were strong enough to implement a strategy that could change the outcome of the race here. Yeah, I think teams like Bike Exchange with Grace Brown did their absolute best and with the resources they had to get a podium as good Brenauer after a good result at Ken Fablehem, third maybe in the sprint or second behind Mariana Voss. Um, again, she must be happy with second with no team support in the finale. SD works. I think it's as Benji said, when Van Vleuten is Van Vleutening, there's limited things you can do. <laughs> like She just puts 10 seconds into you in the face on Paderberg and then TTs away. Like There's only yeah. so much you can do. I mean, if Vollering doesn't have the legs to close it down and neither does Van der Breggen, then whether Longaborghini pulls or not, I don't think would have made the difference either. Do you think Van Vleuten is looking exactly the same as in the last couple of years, Benji, pre that crash? Do you think Worlds last year with the broken hand kind of made us forget too quickly that she is the best? Hmm. I think it's just a a bit different because last year we had a total domination by Van der Breggen and so far this year that has not been the case. I think that Van der Breggen was just plainly the better one 
all round in women's cycling last year. And I don't know. That hand probably did skew our view a bit towards the end of the season after the Giro Rossa, but I still think that I never really saw Von Vleuten as a weaker rider. I think that I think I just expected the Movistar transfer to have more influence to that. And honestly, looking back at the team where she was last year, I think she had more support. And perhaps that is the reason that I personally believe that we might have expected less due to the change to Movistar. But Van Vleuten is a monster on whatever team you put her on, clearly. Yeah, I thought that too. You know, new equipment, new change of scenery, but it doesn't matter. And the way she wins doesn't really need a team. We said that in the preview before. It's she's going to do what she's going to do. And I think the Grace Brown move, if you want to go and watch, I think that move from Grace Brown followed from Van Vleuten really changed this race and put Vollering and Van der Breggen under pressure before they expected it. I think they're expecting to follow her on Paderberg and she threw a spanner in the works, in the SD works, uh, before they got there. But Benji liked that one. But... Any last thoughts from the women's race? We have to mention it, Benji, the, the littering yeah. issue. Um, the, Backfired already. Yeah. Uh, we said it before, so we, for full transparency, we recorded the men's race recap and then went and watched the women's race. And in time, we said in the men's recap, it's not going to be long until – a big rider in a big race situation litters and they don't get penalised. And on Twitter, we've already seen footage of Van Vleuten littering, throwing a bit on the same as Cher with 42Ks to go and it's out of a littering zone. So it should be a DSQ. We were not going to talk about it, but it's been publicised now and the podium's done, etc. because we think the rule is stupid. Like we're not going to dob people in, but it's been publicised. What do you think, Benji? Like would you feel better? If Van Vleuten had been disqualified? No, but I'd feel better if Cher was not. <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. it... Yeah, like, I think everybody that watched his race is happy that Van Vleuten is not disqualified except for the people that ended second and third in the race. Yeah. Um, She's but, the strongest. But it bugs me so much that it's between the men's and the women's race of the same event on the same day, there's already already a huge difference when it comes to the appliance of the uh, of the rule, and that inconsistency annoys the hell out of me because I think that's kind of falsifying the race for some people. Argesere would have had in the men's race an extra rider to take care of, and right here Von Vleuten, yeah, she's kept in for the same thing. I think they both should have been kept in. I don't think Von Vleuten should have been decued for this. Uh, so far, we've got no news of that. We waited till the podium to confirm this because we don't want to kind of put it out there on the on the podcast as first thing and be the people that call this out because I still believe that she should not be DQ'd for that and you as well. But uh, it's 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 just fucking annoying, isn't it? <laughs> it's stupid because like we talk to La Flamme Rouge a lot and because we're degenerates, we watch every kilometer of every race live. We even listen to race radio and all that sort of stuff and we see everything, got people replaying, sending us clips and there's so many people that littered today and it's going to be impossible unless 
the UCI, I don't know, spends 10 grand every race hiring 50 people to watch the race and tell them <laughs> that, to catch it all. And may, I know guy, that's not an excuse. One guy with a Twitter account is enough, mate. <laughs> yeah, true. Twitter's enough. Just, I mean, that is actually what they use for VR. They just troll Twitter. And that's why we were worried about mentioning the Van Vleuten thing. And imagine how stupid it would look if the women had this fantastic race, all the favourites in front group, big attack on Canaryberg, Paderberg, all great, good result, clean racing. And then afterwards it's like, nah, she threw a bit on. And it was near people. Uh, people went and picked it up, I assume. And she got disqualified. That would just make the race look like a joke. And it also changes, like, that happened at 40Ks to go. And then she's competing in the sprint. It changes the race situation behind, you know, the way Brenauer and all the others ride. Like, what if SD Works knew they were racing for first? They wouldn't have pulled so much. And then they would have attacked with Vollering and Bunderbregen. And they would have, quote, unquote, won. It's so stupid. So, anyway. We've said enough on it. Otherwise, thankfully, they missed it. So unlucky, Gilcher. But Van Vleuten, she's looking terrifying this year, Benji. And I don't think she's going to stop here. I think Movistar are going to get their, their money back. And <laughs> more on that signing. SD Works, we said, what could someone do or teams do to beat them? Well, you need one person. Annemiek van Vleuten going nuclear. And that's what happened today. Any last thoughts on the women's Ronda, Benji? No, it was a good race. Um, I do personally don't like these race situations for the viewing. I really enjoy it if it's like after the Paterberg, there's still tension between two or three riders at the front. And I think in this situation, that's not the case. And I don't know. Personally, I want more action after the Paterberg. And today, that was not really the case. <laughs> on I both races how, or yeah. just this? In the men's race, it really wasn't that because in the men's race, you've still got that doubt. Oh, is Asgreen going to beat Van der Poel or is Van yeah. der Poel going to beat Asgreen? Are they going to attack here? But with Van Vleuten, when she attacked on, on the Paterberg and the, the gap was 11 to 12 seconds, I I had like an 80% thought process that Van Vleuten was gone and she wasn't going to get taken back. And yeah, oh, that, that's less of an interesting feeling. Yeah. Okay. I thought because of the SD works numbers, but yeah, you were right. Yeah. In yeah. the end, uh, I guess everyone's got their work cut out this year. So that's all from us. We hope you enjoyed the women's Ronda recap. If you're listening on YouTube or this entire Ronda recap, if you're listening on the podcast players, we've had a busy weekend and uh, we'll get this all up for you ASAP. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, listening to all the, uh, the monuments and the previews, we've done MSR and Flanders so far, Roubaix's cancelled, but if you've enjoyed it all, Got a Ko-Fi link if you want to support the podcast or alternatively a like on the YouTube channel or a review on your podcast players is all we need uh, for your support. But we get that support in droves and we really appreciate it. See you next time. Ciao.